Good morning, church. Uh, happy Palm Sunday. Uh, what a, a glorious day this is. It represents uh, Jesus as he was entering into Jerusalem, and the streets were just lined with, with people that were cheering and excited about his entry into Jerusalem. They had in their minds uh, a, a thought of what he was about to do, who he was about to become, and he obviously had his own thought of what it was that he was about to do and what he was about to come. As he was entering in, he found himself on a donkey, and the people were expecting him to come and take over and help take the oppression off of them. And so as he was entering in on this Palm Sunday, he came on a donkey that obviously put him not on a warrior stallion, but came in as the Prince of Peace, the donkey representing, I come in peace. They were laying down the palm branches and waving them at him as he entered, and they were cheering, but the palm branches themselves represent goodness and victory, for which he was entering into goodness and victory, but it wasn't the same thing that they anticipated that he was going to be entering in. Not the same victory was his entrance intended. They were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now, for which he was going into Jerusalem to save them now, but once again, a different image than what they had. If you look at Luke chapter 19, and I highly encourage you, any scriptures that I that come upon, just write them down. If you don't have a pen and paper, send somebody to get one real quick. Just write these down. I encourage you to read these again afterwards uh, so that you can then have some family time digging through the scriptures because I believe that is important. But in Luke chapter 19, Luke tells us that his heart was broken and that he actually wept for them. So as you would think this is a very jubilant party that's going on as he's coming in and through the parade waving at people, he was weeping. You see, because he could look beyond what their faces were showing, he saw the hearts and their hopes and desires and knew that it was not in alignment for what it was that he was going in for. Those very people, they turned their back on him. They betrayed him. They even crucified him. I know that as we look back, 2020 is, is so easy to look back and almost judge people and say, what were you thinking? Obviously, he, he had a better plan for you than you had even for yourself. That, that his entry into Jerusalem was the precursor to his death, burial, and resurrection that is yet to come. And had they gotten their way, then we would not have seen the blessing of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So as we enter into today, as we look at the word, as we get in, I, here's my prayer for all of us. Lord, as we look backwards to what happened, help us to look at this present circumstance of, of my life, of our lives, and help us to carry forward our understanding so that we won't misstep as many others as I am certainly prone to do. So let's pray together as we dive into the devotion. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you so very much that it is to you and to you alone that we need to be seeking. You are our way maker. You have plans to bless us, but it might not be the same blessing that our minds are thinking so help us to, to look at it differently. Help us to try to look at things from your perspective and not our own. God, I know my heart 
My heart can be very selfish. And so, Lord, I, I just thank you so much for this opportunity. And I pray that your word would move in power because if it's just me, it's gonna be very minuscule at best. Lord, I love you and I praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. The scriptures that we're gonna be looking at, it starts in Mark. I've been having my own devotion and quiet time uh, reading through Mark. And it was just very appropriate as Daryl asked me to speak today um, that I was gonna bring these same scriptures to all of us. But in verse 33, we see that Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using parables. And when I'm reading something, usually I try not to take it out of context. I try to learn the breadth of where it came and where it's going. And so I look back um, and tried to look at the scriptures that led up to this. And there were actually four parables that he had in public teaching, which fulfilled prophecy. But in speaking in that, not only did the masses not understand, but I'm sure his disciples were sitting there scratching their heads, going, well, of course, I know what scattering seeds is about. My uncle does that. Even though I'm a fisherman, I know what seed scattering is all about. The lamp, that would be stupid that you would hide the lamp. Like, they all had the physical understanding. They were missing the spiritual. And if we ended at the first part of verse 34, and notice I didn't finish 34, if we finished there, and we all just came to these big teachings where we were gathered together, which is important. We're told that we're not to forsake that. But if it just stops there, we missed everything. The next part of verse 34, as you see, says, but afterward. So he went through all these teachings and it says, but afterward. I love when you see something that's getting ready to transition because you go, okay, something's getting ready to happen here. He's about to change something up. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. I'm just picturing them sitting at his feet and I'm picturing him looking into their eyeballs and the perplexity of them not understanding the parables and the aha moments for which when he finally broke it down to them, they're going, oh, I was just thinking this. Now I understand what you're trying to tell me. I love how Jesus modeled this type. For his entire life, he modeled it. You see, many times that he was with the disciples, scriptures would teach us that he would go off by himself and meet with the Lord. He didn't take the group with him. It was a time between him and his heavenly father. So he modeled that behavior. And then even here, he pulls his disciples aside. He has a but afterward moment where he's teaching them, this is what's going on behind what you're hearing. I'm teaching in parables so everybody will get something, but only a select few will truly understand. And in order to get that, you're going to have to have a but afterward moment. That but afterward moment is me, myself, me, Greg McGehe, spending time in the word, spending time with the Lord himself, and so as he modeled this, we see it in his life. We see he's modeling it for the disciples. And then shortly after, he starts to tell us about the coming advocate. Obviously, Jesus is not walking around physically on this planet anymore, but he made a promise to us. And even though you don't have these scriptures in front of you, I want you to write them down. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 26. John chapter 14, 15 through 26. I'm just gonna read little bits and pieces because he promised that you can have a but afterward moment still. 
where you can sit in the presence of God himself, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. In verse 16, it says, he will give you another advocate. Verse 17, he is the Holy Spirit who leads in all truth. Skipping to verse 23, it says, my father will love them. Who is he loving? Those who love. It says, I'll go ahead and back up the whole way. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. Meaning they're gonna be obedient to the word. We'll get to that. But then it says, my father will love them and he will come and make our home with each of them. Verse 26, but when the father sins, the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. And I love verse 27. It is so appropriate for where we are right now. When you look in people's eyes, as, as you are social distancing from one another, of course, you don't see a lot of peace you see a lot of perplexity. You see a lot of nervousness. You see a lot of anxiety of people wondering, am I going to still have a job? Am I going to be able to pay my mortgage? Am I going to be able to find toilet paper? Verse 27 says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and peace of heart. Peace of mind and peace of heart. And the peace that I give is a gift that the world cannot give. There's nothing. We can search the world over. We're never going to find the peace that comes from the advocate, the Holy Spirit of the living God who lives inside of us. For that but afterward moment now is spent with that advocate. So don't be troubled and don't be afraid. We're going to have feelings and our feelings are gonna be one of anxiety, but we have to cut that off and have a but afterward moment and find out what the Prince of Peace is wanting to speak to us. He wants to give us a, a, a gift, peace in our hearts, a peace in our minds. And so we need to spend some time in those but afterward moments with the great advocate who's going to teach us all things, who's going to help us to remember all things. That is what is promised for our but afterward moments. So learning is very, very important, but it's not the only thing. You see, as I did my before and after, as I was looking at these scriptures in Mark chapter four, once I exited 34, I was going to what then transpires afterwards. It's a story that many of us are probably familiar with, but in the context of what just happened, he basically had a moment where he's looking his disciples in the eyes and he's teaching them about the faith that they're going to need to live it out. He's teaching them what he was telling in those parables. After that but afterward moment, life happened. So it's important that you and I go spend some time in the presence of God by ourselves. Not that we're coming to church for the reason of that's the moment that we're getting spiritually fed fully because you're only gonna get bits and morsels. It is the Holy Spirit himself who wants to grow you as an individual. But after that but afterward moment comes an opportunity to live it out. Look at verse 35 with me, Mark 4, 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus, I love this, verse 38. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat, and I even love this even more, it's just so intimate, with his head upon a cushion. His disciples woke him up 
And it probably wasn't a nice, quiet one. As a matter of fact, it says the next word, they were shouting, okay? I, I try to picture myself shouting at the Lord. It, it really is humbling for me to think of that, but sometimes in my brain, I think I do. I think I do shout at him, Lord, don't you understand? And here's what they're saying. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And they were screaming this at him. Don't you care? Lord, don't you care that my mortgage might be at fault? Don't you care that I might not have a job? Don't you care that there's nothing left in my pantry? Don't you care that there's no toilet paper anywhere to be found? Hosanna, save us now. Hosanna, save us now. The salvation that he has for us, once again, I want to remind you, is not necessarily what we might have in mind. And so as we cry out to him, and get him off his cushion where he has peace, the same peace that he promises both you and I. Continuing in verse 39, it says, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have little faith? So after the but afterward moment, which we all need to be having, and so if you, if you have any excuses, they're pretty much gone because most of our lives have slowed down at least a little, if not a lot. There's no reason why we can't have those but afterward moments. We need to be scheduling that into our day because a storm has come. We also have a storm going on in our lives and we wanna shake the Lord and say, wake up. Don't you know? Didn't you see? I encourage you. I encourage me. Let's take our but afterward moment where the Holy Spirit wants to breathe peace into my mind, into my heart. And let me take it into this storm that I'm in. Let me take my oar that I'm trying to get out of my own problems. Let me lay the sail down that I'm trying to get out of my own problems. And let me go find a cushion. And let me go lay down right next to the Lord. And let me find my peace with him. So my encouragement is that we would embrace and see what the Lord is wanting to do right now. Let us not waste this trial that could be refining us, that could be changing us, that could be redirecting our hearts in a way that nothing else would have done and we could have missed it. And somebody in the future looks at this moment and looks at the church and says, wait, they didn't respond appropriately. They responded in fear. There was nothing different in the church than in the world. So let us wake up, let us spend those times with him and let us bring our cushion and lay our heads down right next to him and find peace. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's going to use this. It's guaranteed he's going to use this, but I'm going to challenge us all. Do we know the context in which these scriptures lie? Do you know what came before? Do you know what came after? I'll read it to you. In verse 26, it says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Verse 27, the, spirits, the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So we need to be seeking the Holy Spirit during this time, our great advocate, because he's praying in tune with the Lord's will, as should I be. Lord, help me to see what you're doing in me 
so I can understand how to join you in my prayer in this journey. And then verse 28, the one we've already mentioned, but if we go afterwards, we're gonna see in verse 31, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? In verse 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we will be killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries for tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love God has that is revealed in Christ our Lord. Embrace the storm. Lord, I know that you're working for my good in the midst of the storm. Lord, obviously you want to know what my prayers are. My prayers are that this would go away. Help this COVID thing to disappear. Something we can't even see with our naked eye is completely causing us to have a a, a huge hiccup in everything that is normal. But afterward, Lord, what are you doing? What is it that you want to do with me? What are you trying to refine in me? What is that that you're trying to restore in me? That, that first love that I had for you, that I would take these other idols, these other things that have been busying my life, and that I would turn my affection and love back to you so that you can breathe new life into me. Allow me to lay my head upon a cushion right next to you, dear Lord. My wife shared a chapter with me as I'm coming to a conclusion, and I'm just throwing this out at us, church. Andrew Murray, The Coming Revival. This this statement that I've come up with says, a humble and contrite heart is the necessary vehicle for the spirit to do mighty and powerful things. You see, we're in a position now, and students hear me well, like the questions about what are we doing this summer. I have an entire calendar filled with things that we have planned. I have things already ready for the fall that we have planned. But James 4.15, something that we should have always had as part of our lives, it's now becoming quite obvious. If the Lord wills, then I will live to do this and that. So Lord is humbling me He's helping me to become more contrite. Let me lean in on this, Lord, because the title, The Coming Revival, it, if we don't find ourselves humbled, a revival will never take place. It's not about you from my perspective. It's about me. Lord, I pray that you will humble me, help reveal, allow your light to illuminate into my heart things that I've been hiding, even from myself, that I may grow and that I may repent from them so that a revival will begin right here in me and that it would then spread to others as you overflow out of my life. As John the Baptist said, 
when his disciples were coming to him saying, hey, there's more people starting to follow Jesus now. There's more things going on over there. He's baptizing more people than you. He said, it's okay. Less of me, more of him. That needs to become my mantra. I'm gonna read to you Hosea chapter six. It's entitled, A Call to Repentance. I believe we need to repent, that we need to come to a place where we confess our hearts and we lay before God and we say, Lord, please reveal in me what it is that you're wanting to do in this time. Cleanse me, O Lord, make me new. Hosea chapter six, a call to repentance as we close, says, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. Now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. O Israel and Judah, what should I do with you? Asked the Lord. For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like the dew in the sunlight. I sent my prophets to cut you to pieces, to slaughter you with my words, with judgments as inescapable as light. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want your burnt offerings. But like Adam, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. Gilead is a city of sinners tracked with footprints of blood, priests from bands of robbers waiting in ambush for their victims. They murder travelers along the road to Shechem and practice every kind of sin. Yes, I have something horrible in Ephraim and Israel. My people are defiled by prostituting themselves with other gods. O Judah, a harvest of punishment is waiting for you. Though I wanted to restore the fortunes of my people. Church, I'm speaking to myself and I'm speaking to us. In the midst of all of this, we need to truly be laying at Christ's feet, pleading with the Holy Spirit to allow his light to shine into the crevices of our hearts and lives that we can see those things revealed, that we can confess those things, that we can then walk in a repentant life so that a revival will be birthed out of this hardship. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you so much for the celebration of Palm Sunday. Lord, as we have looked at the lives of these people who lined the streets, how fickle they were when things did not go their way. Lord, how fickle I am. Lord, how fickle I am that this is not my plan. This is not what I desire. I don't like having the thought of loved ones getting sick, loved ones dying. None of this would be in my plan, Lord. Allow me to continue to worship you. Allow me to continue to look to you for all my answers. Father, help me to see the steps that I need to be taking not only in my own life, but outside of my life. Help me become a conduit of a revival. Lord, because it is you working in me during this time. Lord, help me to lay my head down upon your cushion 
that that peace would come into my life. That no matter what's going on around me, no matter what the storm may be, help me to remember to lay the oar down, to stop worrying about the mast and fixing all these problems, but to look to you for my solution because you are God and I am nothing but your child. May you be glorified in me, in the church, during this time. Lord, help us to rise up out of ashes. We love you, we praise you, and we look forward to celebrating a risen Savior on Easter. In Christ's name, amen.